0: <laughs> Spot of gold Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River It is Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022 And we've got a great show for you today If I sound a little different today, you may notice I don't know, you might not I feel like I do, but it could be in my head I'm traveling So I'm in a hotel room in beautiful Chelan, Washington, right on Lake Chelan, which is a pretty cool spot. There's this weird thing that happens when I travel. Best way I have to describe it is that my personality disappears. And I know that sounds weird, but that's what it feels like literally. And that it's not like a scary thing or a bad thing. It's just what happens when I travel by myself. And it only happens when I'm by myself. If I'm with people who I already know, then my identity remains. But I have noticed, and it's happened since I was a kid, that when I'm in a brand new place with all people who don't really know me or don't at all know me, I don't feel uh, the obligation to be myself, which includes following social norms and just kind of scoring points socially the way that I usually do. Because it it doesn't feel like the game is being played, it's like on pause. Nothing really, none of the social scoring matters because I'm in a new place, you know? Almost as if my personality is a costume and I just leave it at home when I travel alone because I don't need it. And obviously, I'm still the same person. I'm st- I still feel the same feelings and react to the world in a similar way, but it's not performative. It's not for anyone else, it's just reactions, and I'm not judging all my reactions to make sure that they're consistent and congruent with my previous behavior or my intentions for the future, like I usually do without even thinking about it. I tried to explain this to my wife last night on the phone, just kind of as general commentary on being a human weirdo. And her response was a long pause and then, uh, you'll be fine. I wasn't trying to complain, and this happens to me a lot. I'll just be wanting to explain or to just observe something. And I've noticed that a lot of people will take that as a complaint. And I'm not complaining, I'm simply stating. Like, hey, yeah, I had a decent day, it was okay. You know, I had a conference, did a little networking professionally, that's always good, and oh yeah, my personality disappeared. And that's not a complaint, it's just a comment. And the way I I kind of figured that out was by trying to record a podcast by myself in a room where I've been by myself for a couple days and I haven't spoken to anybody. It's also one of those, it's an older hotel and you can hear everything through the walls. So a couple times I hooked up the recorder and tried to get going, and I couldn't even make my voice sound normal. Hopefully it sounds normal now. I'm a little paranoid about that. But I think it sounds fine. Anyway, so I'm traveling. Oh, something cool happened yesterday while I was driving. So I'm driving through Washington. I'm just out there in kind of mountainous scrublands. I'm driving along the edges of a cliff, and over the edge of the cliff two of these big ass, no, I'm sorry, big horn sheep came jumping up over the guardrail. Well, only one of them jumped over the guardrail, but the other one just poked his head up. It was really cool. I've never seen those before up close. They are big. It looked like a fucking donkey or something. I couldn't believe how big it was. Beefy, very beefy for uh, an animal. It was pretty cool. I felt very excited about it. I wanted to like post about it and call all the people I know. And then I realized how weird it would be if I did that because if I think about it, I see big ass animals regularly and I don't get nearly as excited when I see a big bull elk or something. While I do get excited, still, that never really never goes away. I don't get nearly as excited as I did about that damn sheep, but that was a first time thing. You know, That thought it was really neat. So what's going on in the world? Russia is still invading Ukraine, that's awful. I'm getting nervous, I really hope we don't end up going to war. I don't want to go to war as a country, but especially as an individual. I'm not going to war. I'm two years below the cutoff for the draft, I think. I think it's 35. And I really don't want to go to war. Here's a question, and I'm sure this has come up for other people too. If you're eavesdropping on a conversation, and by eavesdropping I mean not plugging your ears when you're in a public space and somebody's having a private conversation in your vicinity, so you hear it, you're involved. At what point is it rude to interject? Or I guess, is there a point where it is not rude to interject, you know, for corrections and such? Here's what happened. I'm having dinner. It's eight o'clock. It's last night. I'm at the restaurant here at the hotel. I had a delicious skirt steak, cooked medium rare, served with sautéed pearl onions, cherry tomatoes, and a delicious chimichurri sauce, all on a bed of fresh local microgreens. Of course, this came after the warm bread and butter. And get this, the butter cubes, not cold, room temp. This place knows what the fuck they're doing. So, I'm eating dinner. I'm really enjoying this skirt steak, but it is a little chewy. Which I'm fine with. I've got teeth. I'm a masticating motherfucker. So I I masticate the hell out of that beef. I'm chewing, I'm chewing. Where I'm going with that is this is taking a long time. And I've already gotten bored twice by now. And The steak is still here, but I'm not full. That's actually something that I come up against a lot. I, I prefer foods that I could scarf down quickly because I get bored. And I realize, like, oh, I'm no longer entertained by this food. I'm ready to move on. So if I'm not finished with it, I'll just leave it there. So I'm I'm finishing up my meal. People have started to clear out of the restaurant, and uh, there's a, a couple, a young couple, sitting at the table just to the north of me, and they appear to be on a date, or they are they're hanging out, they're getting to know each other. It's romantic, you know. I'm not I'm not I'm just I'm trying to enjoy my skirt steak, you know. I'm not about getting involved in other people's conversations. I'm not trying to eavesdrop, but I can't help myself. I have ears. I don't get to choose what my brain hooks onto and listens to. So yeah, I'm listening. And this is what I hear. So this guy tells a story. Yeah, man. And I and I I kind of zone in when he's halfway through. He's like, Yeah. So we pulled up to the Jiffy Lube in Moscow, and there's a huge line. And the line is out in the road. The guy, the cars are parking in the road. It's causing a huge traffic jam. So I get in the line. Which automatically, I'm like, oh, what the fuck? If there's a line of cars into the highway, don't get in the line. What is your, what is wrong with you? Of course, that's a bad choice. But he did it. He got in the line. He blocked traffic, got in the line. Apparently, everybody was honking at him. People were pissed, and he endured all of that criticism. Got through the line in his Honda Accord, only to find out they're out of oil filters. So he can't get his oil changed. And boy, was he pissed. And that was the story. This is a first date, I'm assuming, and that story was shit. This guy is not getting his dick sucked based on the merits of that story. And at the time, I thought he was referring to Moscow, Russia, which makes it a much more topical and relevant story. However, I'm realizing now he's probably talking about Moscow, Idaho. There is such a place, right? I'm Googling it. Yeah, Moscow, Idaho. Moscow is a city in northern Idaho along the state border with Washington. The largest city of Latah County, Moscow, is the home of the University of Idaho. That's where I know it from. Okay. The state's land-grant institution and primary research university. So that's where they learn about potatoes. And dirt. Idaho's got some cool shit, but most of it is trees. Anyway, so this Idahoian trying to impress this girl, and sh- so she says, hey, okay, we're talking about oil changes. I have a story I would like to contribute. And I, I this is where it really got difficult for me not to chime in. But, you know, I'm a teacher at heart. I love to, I love to share knowledge. So I wanted to help these dumb fucks survive in this world. And after this conversation, I was not convinced that they had the tools required to do so. So she started out by telling this guy that her dad was trying to make her check her oil in case she needed to change it and get new oil, which obviously... She does, because everybody does. That's what you do every, you know, three to 7,000 miles, depending on whether you're using full synthetic or not. You need a new filter, new oil. Keep it moving slick. So if you know that, then it would probably concern you when you hear that she has not done this since buying the vehicle in 2016. Not good. She goes on to say that the reason for this is that she tried, but her car doesn't have a dipstick. It didn't come with one. This was a lie. And the way we figured this out is because she goes on to explain that her friend, some girl named Janie or, or Chelsea or, or Ashley, or I, I, I don't remember, she brought her dipstick and they were going to use hers, but they couldn't find where to stick it in. So that makes no fucking sense because nobody is going to pull their fucking oil dipstick out of their car and bring it along to go visit a friend. That's not going to happen. Just in case, just in case she wants to check her oil. Not going to fucking happen. So clearly a lie. And then she goes on. Yeah, no, actually, what? that's what I told my dad, is that the car doesn't have a dipstick. It didn't come with a dipstick. I got to get a dipstick for it before I can check the oil. At this time, the guy is like, Okay, Uh uh-huh. Yeah, I think the dipstick is, like, the lid to your motor? That's what he said. And at this point, I got my first impulse to be like, No, you fool! No! The dipstick has its own entry point, and it is only for collecting data. It's to check the level of the oil in the engine. That's it. I mean, there are pieces of equipment where that's also where you add oil, But for the vast majority of passenger vehicles, that's not the case. And then she's like, but the true story and the real reason that I never checked my oil is because they never unlocked my car at the factory. And I said, what? The fuck are you talking about? Because if they never unlocked your car at the factory, how the fuck did you get in it? And how did you drive it? She goes on. She says, yeah, I don't know if you knew this, but cars come from the factory locked. I pulled the, the thingy to open the front and then I went to the front to open it and it was locked. It was like, you could see that it was open. It was rattling and I could like look in, but you could see there was like a little bar and a little hook and it was it was locked and I there was no place to put your key. Okay, so at this point, My inner child, I say my inner child because that motherfucker loved to correct people, was screaming out, you idiots. I wanted so badly to tell them, ma'am, respectfully, the way you pop a hood on a car, and that is a correct term, it's called pop a hood, it's like popping a shirt off. You pull the hood lever underneath the steering wheel, pop, that pops the hood. That releases that spring-loaded tension on the hood, which keeps it closed tight. But it does not allow you to open it all the way. To do that, you got to get out, stick your hand into that opening where it has already been released, find yourself that little lever and click it and it will release that, that secondary lock. The reason for the secondary locks is that just in case your hood happens to pop when you did not want that shit to be popped, it doesn't fly open and blind you while you're driving down the freeway. Tommy boy style. Tommy boy, right? Yeah. Tommy boy. The last thing you want is that hood to fly up and cover your windshield while you're going 100 miles an hour down the freeway, fuck that. So there's safety measures in place. They were not intended to block dumb girls, or boys, from being able to access their engine and service it properly. Check your oil, check your tires, don't get into a situation where you're gonna get stranded somewhere for being dumb and lazy. I've been there, and it sucks. You ever hitchhiked in the snow as a small child because your van caught on fire? I mean, it wasn't your van. It was your parents' van. But it sure as hell caught on fire. And that was, yeah, that was a formative experience. We were driving over, you know, I don't even actually remember what it was. I want to say we were going to Sisters, Oregon. I was a really little kid. I was probably five or six years old. And the, uh, the van we were driving caught on fire. The engine caught on fire. And I remember my dad used my mom's squirty water bottle to put it out. And it actually worked. He put the fire out. But now we're on top of a mountain in the snow. And we have to walk somewhere. It couldn't have been a real mountain. Where were we? I don't even know. I'll have to look that up. It's interesting. When you're a kid, everything's so big and different. And when you're an adult, you come back. It's it's not nearly what you thought it was. But, yeah, we had to hitchhike to a gas station and get a gas can and all that. had... No, it wasn't a gas can. I don't know. I was a little kid. He fixed the fucking van somehow. I don't know how he did it. He was magic. That's probably why I thought my dad and mom could do no wrong for my childhood is because we were always in random scary situations and I was having to watch them get us out of it. And it never really occurred to me that they put us in it. I probably should not have been hitchhiking in a snowstorm on a mountain. Dad. But alas, I was. And I'll never forget it. I'm a pretty resilient guy. I can put myself into a lot of different situations and just kind of survive. Maybe that's why my personality disappears when I travel. Because I'm just in react mode. I'm ready. Oh, oh, a threat? Addressed. Boom. Oh, something coming in? Boom. Blocked. Protected. Oh, a threat? Got it. I'm just ready. Hypervigilance, bitches. Yeah, I remember not having to walk very far. I think people pick you up pretty quick if you got a little kid with you, which is probably why I was there. I remember very clearly a car pulling over, but they pulled over, like, far ahead of us. It felt, like, too far. And my dad took off running towards the car. And as a little kid, I'm like, oh, shit, he's really getting away. And so I'm chasing him, and then all of a sudden I notice that he's dropping money. Coins. Coins. He's dropping change out of his pockets as he was running. It was falling out. He was wearing like a flannel shirt and it was bouncing out of the pockets. And what, am I going to just leave these coins on the ground like an idiot? No. So I'm stopping to pick up these coins and my dad is screaming at me. Go, leave them, leave them. The car is like flashing their brakes like I'm going to leave. We're going to leave. And so we get in this car. I want to say it was a station wagon, but I don't really remember for sure. And the back seat was full of carpet samples, like big binders full of those little square carpet samples, the kind where there's like four on a page and you just flip through and you're like, "Ooh, that one's nice. And I sat there and just flipped through those books and felt the carpets. And um, yeah, it was nice. That was actually the second car. That was That was the way back. The first car I remember being not nice. It was an old man alone and it was dirty and stinky and I fucking hated it. And, yeah, that's all i got to say about that. I don't remember where I was going with that. But uh, it feels good to be talking to you guys. I feel a little bit more like myself than I have in a few days. Oh, happy St. Patrick's Day, by the way. That was last Thursday? Yeah. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Hope you ate some cabbage and potatoes. I know I did. I almost always do. I I always thought I was Irish. I grew up thinking I was Irish. I'm actually like British and Scottish. And you know, for all intents and purposes, that's the same shit. We all a bunch of kind of white. If you missed last week's episode, the guest was Casey Venus, and it was a great show. I really had fun with that one. We got pretty dirty, you know, we talked about a little bit of jizz. A lot of jizz, actually. We're talking first-time jizz, sleep jizz, all different kinds, all different kinds. And it was good. I liked it. That stuff is, is, hey, we should be talking about it, right? We should be talking about it because it's, it's something we're all doing. We're all, we're all coming. If, I mean, you should be, if you're not, you should work on that. Yeah, we talked about a lot of other stuff too, but that's what stuck out to me. Cause that's what I thought people were going to be like, Oh my goodness. Heavens. No, not come. So I was worried, not worried, but neurotic. Regardless, the episode was kick ass and Casey's the shit. And I just I really had fun with it. We're going to do a follow up. If you missed that one, go ahead and check it out. It's, uh, oh, I actually have forgotten to put it on ramblebytheriver.com, but I'll do that right now. And you can listen to it also on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere podcasts are played. You can find Ramble by the River on social media at Ramble by the River on Instagram and Facebook and at Ramble River Pod on Twitter. If you have guest suggestions or business inquiries, you can find the email to contact me in the show notes for this episode, as well as at ramblebytheriver.com. I am still doing my NFT giveaway. We're not getting many takers. I've only given away three NFTs. So if you want one, this is going to be the last week. I'm going to close it off after this week, and, and that's it. So don't drag your feet. If you're not interested, that's cool, too. I'll just keep them. Someday they'll be worth a lot of money, and fuck you for not wanting them. Just kidding. But a little bit, I'm not, because it—they're free. I'm just trying to, you know, connect people and do something new, different, and nobody wants it. Oh, my wife is calling me. Hi. Good morning. How's it going? You sleep good?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be here with us right
0: now. You sick? Mm, no good.
1: Once she gets up and moving, that cough goes away.
0: That's good. I think you have allergies. Uh, Hi, Poppy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Poppy doesn't understand FaceTime. No. I don't. Imagine she would.
1: what happens, but Amelia really wanted to call and see you this morning.
0: Well, thank yeah, you.
1: Since You're not here, you're there.
0: I so am. I to call you. I'm here. And she's pushing me. I see.
1: Pop, please stop doing that. Poppy, look. look.
0: Poppy. Poppy. <laughs> Poppy. Ow!
1: She just bit my elbow, but she clamped down on me. We can't win.
0: Nope.
1: Poppy, can Okay, I've got to get her ready
0: for school. I love you both. Crazy. Thank you for calling. You. Bye. Bye
1: to daddy. Bye. Little kisses. I'll
0: talk to you tonight. Love you. Love you too. Ah, oh, that was nice. Anyway, I don't think I finished my story. There really wasn't a story. It was a, it was a non-story. The story was that I did not speak up. By the end of it, before I left, I was sitting there... With basically just this couple next to me, no one else around, and listening to them bullshit each other. I could tell both of them knew the other one was full of shit and they didn't want to call him out on it because I think they were trying to get along. And it made me think about things like, is that how people do it? Is that how people get along is just by agreeing to believe each other's lies? Am I doing that? are you doing that are, i don't know maybe it's not a problem maybe they made beautiful sweet love and and the story's inaccuracies and the fact that the fact that that girl has undoubtedly got a cell phone with internet access in her pocket but she didn't have the faculty to pull it out and say hey how do i pop the hood on this car oh hey google should i check my oil on this car that i've been driving for 6 years yeah Shelly or, you know, Brienne, or... No, if I'm, if, let me think. I'm going to actually look back into that memory and see what her real name was. Oh, it was Aaron. Not as funny. Okay. Well, Aaron and Micah. That guy's name was Micah. I never saw his face. Wouldn't that be crazy if that really was their fucking names? Oh, my God. I, I don't know. Those are the names that just popped up to me. I manifested them. Usually, I try to manifest things that are funnier. Why? I don't know. All right. Dead air. May the raindrops fall lightly on your brow. May the soil winds lessen your spirit. May the sunshine bright your heart. May the burdens of the rest of the day lightly upon you. And may God enfold you in his mantle of his love. Old Gaelic blessing. Snakes be damned. I don't know what St. Patrick's Day is about. But I do not give a shit either. I'm hungry. I have not edited the episode yet for this week. I don't have a better know a bias. There's no news or current events other than the collapse of our society. So I think we're done here. Don't forget to subscribe. But who even does that? Don't forget to like us on Instagram, social media, stuff, Facebook. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to share. But really, just don't forget to enjoy your life. I'd prefer you just do that. Hopefully this podcast can help you do that a little bit. And if you genuinely like it and you happen to click that like button, I appreciate it. But if you forget, I don't really give a shit. I love you anyway. So, let's get this shit on the road, huh? The episode today is not... Nah, it's it's okay. I don't know really what to think of it because I didn't know the guy. So, we we just met on the internet and decided to do a podcast. His, his profession is, is kind of ambiguous. He's into art. He's into philosophy. He's into academia. And all of that kind of coalesces around his cause, which is... To bring better understanding about our place in the universe and how nature fits in which is pretty cool we talked about a lot of stuff that's kind of abstract that you can feel but not necessarily see we talked about ways to connect to our environment and that's all really cool stuff so i i enjoyed the conversation even though i didn't feel like we really connected i didn't feel like he got me i've been feeling like that a lot lately actually i just recently signed up for a new therapist and uh old gary didn't get me i don't know i'm kind of rambling but after all this is ramble by the river so you know what you were signing up for but let's get to the show and one last thing before we get started i wanted to provide the link to dr blundell's website which is oika.com o-i-k-a.com and that's where you can find links to his courses and information about what he's doing. So go ahead and check that out. That's oika.com. Also, follow him on Twitter at this Is oika. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Rich Blundell. I'm
1: free, free, no
0: Uh, oh, rich you're here welcome nice for, nice to meet you, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, so i'm my recorder's already going, and I, as, as far as the way I usually do these, I like it to be kind of a conversational tone, so i I have questions prepared, and I also took a lot of the questions off of your Podmatch profile and um, but if you have certain talking points or a certain way you like to go through stuff, I'm open to just letting you go.
2: Okay. I may, uh, there's a lot on the, t- there's a lot, you know, happening right now. So I may. Uh,
0: yeah. You want to start may, with just uh, a few, uh, I'll ask you a few questions just about kind of get to know you a little bit. Sure. All right. Um, but yeah, so, al- also like this is very loose, uh, easygoing podcast. It's edited. It's not live. So it- everything, uh, any uh, glitches or weirdness can, can be clipped out. So feel free to just you be nice, yourself.
2: You you got a nice, West Coast attitude. I like it.
0: That's right. That's right. As far west as you can get, I'm right here at the the mouth of the <laughs> Columbia River.
2: It's crazy cuz I'm right on the Atlantic, like 100 feet oh, well. from the Atlantic.
0: We are really <laughs> on the edges of the of the continent. Yeah, I could hit or, I can hit see? the uh, I can see the Pacific Ocean from my backyard right here.
2: I could see the Atlantic Ocean from where I am.
0: That's pretty cool. What a world yeah. we're living in, huh?
2: Yeah, what a crazy, like, think about that, like, and we can see each other, and we found each other, and like, we live in a different world, man, every it's, day.
0: It's just crazy. I love it. Are you pretty into technology stuff?
2: I would say so. I mean, I I use it uh, as a tool. Um, I have some critique of, of technology, too, you know, but I, uh, I'm i not a technophobe by any means.
0: hmm yeah, I love technology. I think it's pretty amazing. There's definitely some scary stuff about it for sure, but a lot of it's very, very well, cool.
2: Well, what's 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 scary about technology is actually scary about us. So, you know.
0: That's a good point. It's a reflection of what we are. Same, It's like the AI stuff, especially. Because especially people are like so the afraid that... Yeah, they're afraid of the, the computers taking over, but really, they're all programmed by people.
2: Right, and what they're really afraid of is of of us they're afraid of we're we're afraid of our, something about ourselves which actually speaks directly to like my work getting us to you know c- not confront but at least be aware of who we are on a very very deep reflective and scientifically rigorous way like so that we may not you know not not as a way of like setting up the conditions for utopia But instead, just so that we we know who we're dealing with when we're dealing with ourselves.
0: That sounds like a very practical way to look at life. I I, I get a lot of utopian vibes with uh, a lot of the kind of more progressive ideals that are very pushed today that that people are forgetting that this utopian ideal of like the perfect society where everyone says the right thing and does the right thing is not actually achievable. And what are your what's your opinion on that like as far as it gets concerned with censorship on the internet and you know creativity and I, expression and are we in danger of losing people like losing people's ability to be creative because we're so worried about making sure that you know everyone's fitting the official narrative and everything is all in line checking all the right boxes
2: okay you could you just like
0: that's a muddled question, terrible, terrible question. But do your best. Well,
2: I wouldn't say it's muddled, but it's definitely conflating a lot of big issues. So um, it could be, it could stand to be picked apart a little bit. Uh, I do agree with you that uh, utopia is a myth, and it's a naive and dangerous sort of um, goal to have. But I think we, I think most people, most thoughtful people have come to understand that that the the, you know the the just the naivete of of utopianist societies yeah and we could get into like the the natural history and the science of why that is naive um or, or we could talk about you know the downstream sort of philosophical reasons why utopianist approaches are just ignorant um Look, if I was a utopianist, I wouldn't follow the Red Sox, you know. So, uh-huh. I just think that that it's, it's, it's old news, and um, but and I do hear what you're saying about it. You hear echoes of it in popular culture, but uh, I don't think we need to worry about it because um, those voices are just—they're um, being drowned out by much smarter eventually here great so that's that that's that's one part of that question and then there was the other part about narratives
0: go ahead whenever you're ready
2: yeah so i i guess i was just starting to like um deconstruct that question a little bit more which is to then talk about the second part that you brought up which was about something about entrenched narratives was that what you said Get the word. You I, used.
0: If if you want, I'll just let's move move past that question. It was it was a okay. bad question. Let's. Well, have we'll you back tell to me narrative. a little bit about I, your I, work?
2: I, I can almost I can almost guarantee we'll get back to entrenched narratives one way or another here. But yeah, uh, my work. Uh, yeah, my work is. Um, uh, I am a uh, uh, kind of a renegade uh, ex, recovering academic. I was never a very good scholar, uh, but I did come up through the ranks in academia. Um, my guiding light has always just been nature. And I, the whole purpose of my immersion in knowledge is about wanting to understand and be connected to nature to sort of figure out figure out what this whole thing is. Um, so I, I, I consider myself to be an ecologist first and foremost, but I mean that in the broadest sense possible. In other words, ecology is the study of relationships yes it's largely about the relationships between the creatures and characters that we meet in nature like trees and birds and brooks and marshes and oceans things like that yes it is about that but ecology more generally is just about the relationships that unfold the trophic and energy relationship sorry the feeding the food webs and the um, regimes of energy how energy flows through systems that's also ecology. And and, okay. and so that applies to any kind of system. That could be a linguistic system, it could be an economic system, it could be an ecosystem, it could be it could be you know, a university system. So ecology is that's but my first love is nature for sure.
0: So ecology if if I can summarize is the the economics of how energy is exchanged and changed between and among organisms.
2: Well, that's a very economic way to say it, but um, like it's a kind of a transactional way to say it. I think it's more about the quality of the relationships as opposed to what's it's not about the currency of the relationship. It's more about the the uh, the quality of the relationships.
0: Okay, so So yes, the whole thing that is created by the interaction, not necessarily what's being exchanged.
2: Yeah, and the qualities of it, the, you know, the 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 features of the emergent rela- emergent properties that come out of those relationships.
0: So it's and, about yeah, the energy- richness.
2: Uh, it's about the richness and the um and the um the diversity and the flow, the dynamism, the um the but especially the creativity of the system, you know, like w- what what surprises come out of these relationships. You know, what, what unexpected and unpredictable things come out of these relationships? And how do these relationships um, evolve over time? You know, how do they come and go? How do they decline and rise? And when you start talking like that, in terms of like social systems or culture or politics, or then things get really interesting and relevant.
0: And how do you study something like that?
2: Observe it participate in it i mean like i said i mean i sort of left academia so i want to be clear about something i'm not claiming to be a scientist you know active or actively engaged or doing science right now um that's sort of my past i've left that domain of you know pursuit but um how do you study it you there's a lot of ways to do that The scientific method is a great one however limited as it may be Um, I tend to just, uh, prefer to participate in these systems and, um, I do what you might call phenomenological research. I study the experiences of what it, what it feels like to be a part of these systems. Um,
0: as as a former scientist, it sounds like you'd be the perfect qualified candidate to do that kind of research. Because you have that background of rigor, but you can also kind of step beyond that. Because it is a limiting thing. I love the scientific method. I think it's great. But it does limit you to observable phenomenon, and, phenomena and things that are very much describable in concrete terms. But if you already have that background, you can kind of apply some of those rigorous principles to some of the more abstract things that are going on around us. You probably have a very good idea of, of the big picture.
2: I don't know. I think I'm susceptible to bullshit just like anybody else. Uh but I definitely here's the thing about you know being an ex-scientist or ex-practicing scientist is that um I'm actually a a, a scientist who also has studied the philosophy of science like kind of deeply, which means that I have a somewhat of an understanding of how the hypothetical deductive method works, you know, and how induction is limited, these methods that we, that we use in science. And you have to remember when we, you know, most scientists, number one, don't go that deep with the philosophy. So they just sort of do science. They just, they're basically trained to do bench science. And so they're like, they're, you get indoctrinated into the scientific worldview and then you're like, put to task, solve a problem. And it's usually this tiny little, highly specialized problem but the point is, most practicing scientists don't have a lot of bandwidth to, you know, deeply question and explore the philosophy of science, and so, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. I'm just acknowledging it. So, yeah, my uh, training and my, you know, my academic or let's say intellectual explorations of science do give me a somewhat unique. Not, not, you know, I'm not a brilliant. You know, I'm not a I'm not a brilliant, rigorous scientist by any means, but I do have an understanding of the limits of science, and I respect—I respect the science and scientific knowledge, and I, I revere it just like a scientist would. But I also see where that kind of knowledge can uh, fail. I mean, and ultimately, it is failing, <laughs> you know, which is why this other thing that we're that we're that we're sensing. These other things that we're sensing in culture are 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 becoming more palpable.
0: Okay. Let me stop you there That's all great information. I want to ask a couple questions Um, First, where would you say we are failing? Where is the scientific method starting to fall short? Where are these cracks being visible and actually go ahead and answer that one first?
2: Well, I think it's just there's this idea of you know positivism which is this idea that you posit that there is a answer to a question and then you you find that answer and you publish it as fact. That has failed. That has been failing for a long time. In fact, it's acknowledged that it failed in the fact that we don't ever, we don't really do positivist science anymore. We don't, we talk in terms of probabilities. That's what a p-value is in science. It's saying, well, the probability that this is not the case is, you know, qualifies to be called knowledge.
0: Yeah, hypothesis testing and all that. yeah, Yeah, yeah. And there's,
2: and there's a reason we do that, you I know mean, it's all that there's all there's safeguards built into the process like falsifiability and uh, reproducibility and peer review and all that stuff is trying to like make science as honest and uh accurate as possible. You got to give them credit for that
0: to me, that's what science is. science is that set of rules that structure is science, and so that's why when people say, oh, they don't follow the science that a lot of the time that doesn't actually even apply because it's... Well,
2: because, but but today science has been, I'm sorry to report, but it has been deeply corrupted by getting into bed with market forces and all kinds of other politics and power games. Money, 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 so, money. Yeah, and more. And so it's like, you you know, maybe a hundred years ago, that that's a nice, simple, clear claim to make that, oh, that's you're not following the science. But I have to say... You know, a lot of the science out there is bogus and has an agenda, and it is just completely sort of—it's no no mystery to me why we don't why trust is eroded in the scientific community.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of potential for fuckery built in because yeah, data doesn't lie, but an analytic tools can bring a lot of different conclusions, and you get to choose which ones you use.
2: Sure, okay, but so all we're really being is disabused of the. Idealism the myth that science was, you know, actually answering, you know Fundamental questions. So it's 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 okay. You know, it's like I'm not I'm not I'm not running around in crisis mode because it's not because science is having a reckoning I I think it is a reckoning that and that there are other ways of knowing that are now, you know, becoming more and more sort of Respectable so um,
0: Okay, so we've established you're not a science hater You're also not an active academic, but you're somebody with a science background who can speak to scientific topics, but not as an absolute authority. You see some cracks in the scientific world. And um, what are these newer ways of knowing that you are now into? Because that's what I want to talk about.
2: (laughs) Well, one of them I mentioned was like phenomenology, which is like a fancy word for paying attention to the lived experience of things, because in some ways the lived experience can reveal and surface nuances of the complexity of relationships that you're studying you know, better than a reductionist mode, which is to say, I'm going to take this thing apart into its little pieces and understand the pieces as a way of understanding the whole, which is a nice sentiment, but it doesn't work that way because scientists tend to fail to put it back together again after they've taken it apart. Anyway, I just think something like phenomenology, which is, you know, like I said, a careful and rigorous Analysis of the, of the, lived experience. You know, um, that's one sort of method. Um, yeah, that's the one I'm really most excited about.
0: That brings does that to any, mind is for that me, your question? Yeah, it does. Um, so okay. the the lived experience being the uh, the object of study. I think that's very fascinating because uh, that's like in science to be referred to like a case study in a lot of examples, yeah. which is just one yeah. single, single case study. And those are, those are just kind of, or, or,
2: or anecdote, which yeah. is a, a dirty, which is a dirty word. In exactly. Science, you know?
0: So from a statistical point of view, those are both terrible sources of data because they're, they're so mm-hmm. specific and that they have low external validity. But if,
2: I think, you, but all you gotta do is adjust your, your reliance on it. Then, no, you know, I, I,
0: I agree with you. I'm yeah. saying, I agree with you. So there is this other mm-hmm. school of thought that you could, take those and those are actually the foremost expert on a very specific thing so if you're if you're trying to study that specific thing for example meditation there are there are people who say like the studies that Mm -hmm. involve um, doing brain scans of monks people who have spent decades meditating and yeah that a lot of people have criticisms of those studies because they're like, those aren't the average person's brains that you're studying. Okay. But other people say that like, those are the people we are studying because those are the experts.
2: Gotcha. What I feel is going on here in this conversation right now is equivocating. Like we're starting to use sort of understandings from one level of complexity on another level of complexity on a lower level of complexity. And that's that I don't, I'm not sure how productive that is. Like, I run into this a lot that people will cite some study or some paper or some whatever, you know, and as, as, as a means to like, um, validate or prove some belief that they hold about this or that.
0: Yes. Which that's, is, a, that's what I'm doing. Exactly. Actually. <laughs> Sorry. Go on. Which
2: is, which is, which is fine. As long as we acknowledge that that what we're, that's what we're doing, you know? Um,
0: yeah, what i'm actually but doing not... is i'm trying to build bridges for my audience just so they can follow us into oh, a deeper okay. conversation
2: gotcha okay gotcha sorry yes okay, okay. but no well...
0: but I, I i plan on letting you go crazy deep don't worry i won't i won't do this for much <laughs> longer i just wanted to make sure that the people that we're going to lose early are going to lo- we're going to lose them but i don't want to lose Damn, everybody
2: that's so good that's great of you to be like that thank you and so our, yeah so have at it i mean what, what do you How do we get there? How do we make this? Okay.
0: So, uh, well, let's see. I, I, we're on this kind of a abstract topic that doesn't really, it's a little bit slippery for me. What, uh, what is it about this stuff that, that engages you? What, where, like, how do you engage with these ideas? What do you do? Do you write? Mm. Do do you read? Do you meditate on them? Like how are you trying to further this study or this progression of, of what it is that you've made your, your work?
2: I'm not interested in writing um, because I'm really not interested in reading. <laughs> I know that sounds really ignorant. Uh, I don't read books, so I don't really feel inc- inclined to write them. Um, I what I do is I spend time in nature. I, I it's, it's a it's a it's a ritual. You know, I don't want to call it religious, but it is a. Uh, it's my practice to spend time in the natural world, listening allowing myself to kind of feel it knowing by the way i need to give a shout out to knowledge when i say that because i know a lot about it I, like i know how photosynthesis works i know how the solar system came into being i know what the cosmic microwave background radiation is and what part it plays i understand like ecological dynamics things like that so when i experience nature I'm experiencing it phenomenologically, like an embodied felt sense, but I'm also enhancing that experience with a shit ton of conceptual knowledge that's been derived scientifically. Um, I'm not bragging there. I'm just saying, you know, that's what I've spent my life doing. So that's what I have. And um, so if you ask me, like, what's my, you know, how, how am I, how do I engage with this material? It's like that in direct contact with it. You live it. And yeah, I live it. I live it and I listen to it. I'm letting it teach me. I'm letting it tell me how it's changing, what state it's in. I'm letting it fulfill me and like energize me. And, um, you know, I spend a lot of time in absolutely beautiful settings, which like, I feel like the absolute luckiest person in the world because of these things. And sometimes the places aren't beautiful, but I'm still lucky to be there, you know? so. I just yeah. think that uh, yeah. Oh, I so, love that. I'm
0: not what, sure if I'm answering uh, what you your question just, again. What you just said really actually resonated with me. What you just said. So you said Who? that some of these locations aren't beautiful, and you're still lucky to be there.
2: Well, dude, the most mundane shit is magic. Okay, so yes. Uh, and you, but but I. The only reason I can say that is because I know like, I know what min, I know the mineralogy of that rock, and I know the glaciology that dropped it there and i know you know i know the part that that mica this you know this mineral played in the evolution and emergence of life you know like i know how biology came from from minerals and so it's like it's not just a rock anymore it is it is it holds the whole story of of the universe and me in it which is i don't know how to just i don't know how to i don't know how to say what that is but um
0: it's hard to put that into that, words that's a big thought uh, yeah the universe okay. in a in a moment in a in a drop of water yep. in a yep you know in a a, a child's yeah, laugh
2: that, all that all that woo-woo shit yep
0: everything is I all one well, I, I really because think that's the it, truth
2: it's, it's it's it is the truth man that's what i'm trying to tell you it's like in everything i know about science confir- is consistent with that i'm not gonna say it confirms it but everything i know Everywhere I turn, every chapter I, you know, encounter is saying that, is saying the deep, you know, kind of spiritual, universal, these things that mystics, mystics talk about and gurus and all that. It's, there's, there's valid valorization in the cosmic story um, that I can't escape, even if I try.
0: Okay, you, you've passed the test. You, I can ask you weird questions. Um, I have I have a list of those, and, I, and a lot of the time, the interview is just over if I if I just ask these ones right away. But um, it's just stuff that's popped into my head randomly over the years that I I cannot get away from. Um, <laughs> one of them. Okay, this. I'm just going to jump topics real quick. Um, so energy and the flow of energy, <clears throat> chakras. Do, do you are you into chakras or energy flow uh, manipulation things like that?
2: Am I into energy flow manipulation? No. Do I think about you know these radiating sources of light that occur along the spine? I've never experienced those. I've read about them. I've seen pictures about, but I've never seen them. But if read you about talk them. About the
0: look way, who does read books.
2: <laughs> I didn't say I read a book. <laughs> Sometimes I, I see them on the interweb, and um. Well, okay, but the, but, the, but the important point is that I've never seen one, you know, mm-hmm. so I've got to take somebody's word for it, which I'm prepared to do. There's a lot of things that I don't see that I have, that I, I mean, look at, you know, much of science is built. I, I haven't experienced a lot of that stuff. But so, but I don't, um, I'm weary and I'm cautious around it because I know that these that if you want to talk about the way energy flows or the way that it concentrates in different parts of the bodies the body i've got no no resistance to that at all like let's talk about it but if you want to talk about you know an ancient um sort of like myth that gets picked up and taken too far Uh i'm just going to be i'm going to be cautious around it you know like like that's that. kind of what I'm asking
0: because that's – so that's what it seems like to me a lot of these older – I want to call them technologies, but I don't know if that's the right word. But some of these older thinking styles and practices, a lot of them seem very much similar and a lot of them seem to to kind of focus on the names and the words used to describe the phenomenon. Okay, but,
2: but why muddy the water with something that has – that's loaded? You know, like, like yeah. when – when you have a better explanation that doesn't require all that mud. Because like then people, wrong, I love, people I just, just... mud.
0: You're right. You're completely right. I did the thing again where I'm trying to build a bridge for people who may not be ready for the fully <laughs> abstract idea that, that doesn't align with some traditional set of knowledge. And Fair enough. I don't know where that comes from. You're, you're the first person who's ever pointed out that I do that. And I realize that's like my my whole interview style. But uh, Everybody
2: does it. I, yeah, I mean, you're from right. From my perspective. It's, it's coming yeah. from
0: from social apprehension. I want to make sure that I'm not out here alone. You know, I'm not the one who's the weirdo who's coming up with these concepts that no one else is even able to think about. Like, because it doesn't, you know what I mean? I want to make sense to people. But I... Okay. Also, you're right. There are a lot of things that because it's been so used and abused, whether it's because it's been commercialized or it's been used to oppress people... A lot of these ideals ideas that could be really cool have been kind of hijacked and now they're full of baggage but my well, I think
2: the, go way, ahead. the way to re- respond to that quickly is to offer a, a, a more compelling beautiful magical explanation for something and then suddenly the old one that has all the baggage and may have lots of little in in inaccuracies in it becomes irrelevant I'm not even saying you need to snuff it out I'm saying suddenly it's no longer interesting because there's something much more awesome, much more beautiful, much more aligned with science that comes in to like make that old thing irrelevant. And it, then it suddenly becomes really easy to jettison that old stuff that's not really serving us because well, you've that's got this other want. thing that's pulling you.
0: That's what I matter. Well, after. that's what
2: science is that's what that's what it's that's what science has got. It just hasn't been articulated by anybody since Carl Sagan.
0: Mhm. Are, are you a Carl Sagan fan?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would say uh absolutely. I sort of like came, you know, I was I kind of missed the Carl Sagan, you know, world that he I, I, you know, I wasn't around when he was like a thing, but um definitely he was uh, uh he, he was he's an inspiration for sure.
0: Yeah, I've seen a bunch of his older stuff. Like I I know he's mm. dead now, but I liked it I like it Co- a lot.
2: Cosmos. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's crazy though, the subtitle for that Cosmos series was A Personal Journey, right? Which actually says everything about what he believed, that the cosmos is a personal journey. I fully buy into that. In fact, I don't just buy into it. I've actually kind of empirically proved it to myself that, that we are a way for the universe to know itself. Like, that is not just poetic speaking. That is literally what's going on.
0: I've heard that a lot. A lot of people have said that the, we are the universe experiencing ex- itself. What does that mean?
2: It means, well, exactly what it says, that our experience of the world is the world experiencing itself. Like,
0: that. then what is a self? Yeah.
2: Well, it is the whole world. That is what it is. Now, if you want to talk about the ego, which is this little kind of compartment of the self that sustains itself, sustains, sustains itself by telling a story of the self in a limited way, you know, that is also a self, but it is not the whole self because the whole self is the universe (laughs) in in each and every one of us.
0: (laughs) Is there any difference between I and we?
2: Uh, I think it's a semantic difference you know that i can i i can identify that they are one and the same thing sometimes
0: me too but not all the time and that's a well, really that's okay hard idea to communicate to other people
2: i don't think it's i don't think it's a big problem because you can't live in that state at least not right now and in that state of i as we but knowing that it exists and knowing that you have access to it Changes the way you behave and and changes the way you interact with the world. So I think it's okay that we can't live in that psychedelic state, but we can um, But we know that it exists we know that our, the small? Experience of the world is not the whole experience of the world
0: Yes, yes, and I think on some level a lot of people can feel that to be true deep in their bones
2: Yep. And I think that's why chakras are so resonant with people because they are a way to like conceptualize something that they feel uh, phenomenologically, that they feel. And here's this, here's this easy to digest concept that, that makes it real. And I got news for you it is real, but I'm not so sure that that little sort of depiction of it is, is big enough to really hold the real that we're dealing with.
0: I believe completely what you're saying. Right, that resonates really strongly with me, and it's because of my experience with religion. Period. I, okay. I think that's so much of what is religion has, that has been established because it's just people trying to explain these things yep. that are going on, and so they put a name on it. But and then that becomes well, its own I'm thing. I'm not even
2: sure they're. But I, I'm not even sure the original religion was about explaining it as opposed as as much as it was about experiencing it with others in other words sharing in that experience with others in fact that's the kind of the root of the word religion lig lig religio is about you know connection it's like a ligament connects things so it's like the original conception of religion was about hey we all feel this thing let's feel it together and then it became all this other stuff that we can now sort of like look at and be like oh jesus that was ugly
0: but communion common union yes yeah all that stuff Which is completely
2: consistent with the scientific story of the universe. I'm here to tell you, you know, like, I have interrogated the story of the universe. And I got to tell you, like, I'm finding the same thing that those people found, that Rumi found, that, you know, that that all these mystics found. We just have different and more coherent and cogent um, data now to, to talk about it and to experience it. I don't see, I don't see the big scandal here.
0: Yeah. There's a lot more in agreement between the religions than there is disagreement. And if you go far enough back, the, a lot of the older religions start to look very similar.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: So what is it that with about the, the, you know, the universe that you have found out that Rumi also knew?
2: Well, lately I've been, I mean, I'm just going to cut to the chase, like there's a whole 13.8 billion year story here to be told. And every moment of that story is absolutely fascinating because it, because it confirms a lot of things that we're talking about. But one Mm -hmm. in particular that I think is, that I think is like really important and right at the edge of where the current scientific understanding and paradigm is headed is this idea of an activism, which is, it's part of a theory of, knowledge or consciousness that consciousness is is uh composed of all these different um, modalities like embodiment extendedness embeddedness but this one called an action or an activism is a theory about how um consciousness comes to into being like and what it is is that consciousness is what, what what they're talking about what what the current sort of edge of it is that they're saying that consciousness is, it isn't just generated inside a body, inside a neurological system and projected outward. It's actually a a compilation of the world and the nervous system, right? Together. And from that together, from that relationship, consciousness arises from. So in other words, your thoughts, The stories that we tell ourselves, the voices in our head that tell me tell us who we are, are actually not ours alone. They're the world's too. Like it's the world thinking. It's the world thinking through our nervous system. But guess what? Our nervous system itself is also part of the world. What is this saying? It's saying that the world is doing the thinking,
0: which is what Carl Sagan said from the experience.
2: Yeah, which is what Carl Sagan said. We are a way for the universe to know itself. Okay. We're just saying what he said. We're saying what the mystics have said, you know, like that the world speaks through us and we are a a deeply embedded part of it. First of all, that is a different way of being in the world than most of us are. Most of us have an ego, we spend most of our time in this like little ego that shoots itself into the material world and, you know, runs around doing stuff to make sure that it's happy. Fine, I get that. But what this is saying is that, no, it's actually not that little ego it's actually the world itself that is impinging its impulse onto it. And then it's expressing itself through consciousness.
0: And then the ego's job is to make sense of that and build a story uh, around it.
2: I, th- you could call it that. I think ego carries a bit more baggage. Uh, you could say something like strict realization
0: in a strictly yeah. Freudian sense of ego, like it, the old fashioned view of ego, not like okay. the arrogant version. Um, that oh, people kind of, yeah. the popular psychology version, sure. but the actual sure. ego, the, the, the me.
2: Yeah. I uh, think the ego is about, is about maintaining the durability of, of, of the system, you know, which is,
0: a, yes, yes, exactly.
2: Yeah. And, and durability is big. Like think about when we talk, I thought I said, we were going to come back to narrative. Narrative is all about durability too. Like narratives are a way to make our ideas and our experiences durable. We use narrative to like, to, 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 um, to compile our experiences into something that can be easily recalled, which means we're trying to give those experiences durability that we can carry around in the hardware that we have, which is a neurological system. Hey, I don't want to get too much into that, but yeah, that's what ego is. It's about how you do got, I in the short term, you can
0: get yeah. into neurology if you want. That's actually somewhere we, we go sometimes on the show.
2: I don't know a lot about neurology, frankly. I black, well, you know, I guess I do. I know enough, but, but, um, I guess what I'm saying is that inactivism, this idea of inactivism, is essential and critical to any kind of future if we hope to have one. Because it's showing us that we're deeply embedded in the world. And the side effect of that, you know, like you take a drug and there's a side effect. Well, the mm-hmm. side effect of experiencing the world in an enacted sense is that you feel like you belong to the world. And when you feel like you belong to the world, you... you When you feel like you belong to the world, the compulsion to hyper consume the world becomes irrelevant, which has the downstream effect that you treat the world differently. You treat it as if it is a part of you and it's full of nourishment that automatically flows through you. You do not have to fire yourself at the world to extract prosperity or happiness out of the world because all you have to do is is actually let yourself actually experience it.
0: For what experience it is. abundance rather than scarcity.
2: Yes. And I'm not, it's not a naive, I'm not saying that in a naive sense. I know there's a lot of scarcity and a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice and a lot of economic inequity. I understand that. Yeah. And I'm actually trying to, I'm trying to do something about that. But my point is that the doing something about it can come from this sense of the, you know, belonging in the world. It, it tends to replace and make irrelevant the things that are creating all that suffering and inequity. I know that that's like a weird like paradox that but but that's what I believe like that's I, what I agree with you.
0: <clears throat> and I, I, I sense some resistance on your part of just feeling like it sounds like you're saying a real lofty heady goal that uh, that's you that's pe- are you worried people are going to criticize you for that. And I feel, that's my, I feel uh, that academic all the trauma, time. Man. Yeah, I feel that's that all academic the time trauma. Yeah, and it's it's almost like what you're saying is that major changes could be made on a grand scale simply by people changing the way they think. And that's Absolutely. that will rub some people the wrong way for sure. Why? But it's true. Why? Because people don't want to be told that it's so easy. People want okay, to right. So they want to yeah. they want well, to know that they're oh. fighting against something that's real because people ah. they love that resistance. They're addicted to the fight.
2: Well, dude, I'm in a fight. You know, I'm, I didn't have to. I didn't forfeit the fight in you know by feeling this way. I'm I'm full on in the fight. So, I don't. I don't think you, you don't have to give up the fight in order to feel that way.
0: Maybe it's just cynics. Then I'm not sure, but I feel that all the time. I, anytime I get it, into it, these kind of lofty topics, which I truly believe in, and I think that they're crucial for understanding our experience of being humans. Uh, I, I I hear those people in the back of my head saying, "Oh, he does oh, he." Because it's 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 not that it's flimsy. It's not a flimsy thing to talk about. It's just it's lofty. It's way up there. You have to well, for, reach
2: for, for you to for you to expect it to be different. I think is the problem. Like that that this is when you when you what you call the fight, you know, which is really the struggle, the wrestle, whatever you want. You can call it many different things. But your you know your impulse to engage with this stuff and to share in it with others is the way. Remember that is the world acting through you know you. And so there's a reason for that. There's a reason why it's a reason why there's resistance. It's it's because you're 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 giving voice to f- ecological forces in the, that are happening in the world that are enlisting you to like bring those things back into balance. So to expect it to be easy is, you know, it's naive. In a sense. I'm not saying you're naive. I'm saying that you can say it. It's I don't I don't know if you're naive or not but I, I'm just saying look man that is the fight the fight is yeah. life and life and life wants to happen and if you weren't fighting you wouldn't be alive so embrace yeah. it you know and and enjoy it
0: that's the other thing I am message. enjoying it like, that part is easy
2: Okay cool
0: but yeah it's it's that's why I'm making this podcast for that very reason is I've I, always felt I, like I had stuff to share even when I'm not completely sure what the things are but um I just, I really think that part of being on this planet is that we got to chew up these ideas together.
2: Yes. And and I'm here to kind of represent science in a sense, like, or at least like the cosmic story. You know, we haven't really talked about, you know, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but what do, what do I mean by that? I'm talking about the story that science has revealed about the way the universe is and the way it works and how things have come to be the way they are is this incredibly empowering narrative and it's i'm i'm acknowledging that i'm aware of the narrative i i think we're allowed to use narrative as long as we're aware that we're doing it and as long as we're willing to disrupt our narratives then narrative is a powerful tool i think some of the resistance and some of the you know the the trouble that you know that we experience is because people aren't willing to challenge narratives which is what i think you were saying earlier i'm just saying it a different way that people are Mm -hmm. resistant to, to change narratives i get that what I'm saying is that there is a narrative that science has revealed that brings to bear on what you're doing, what I'm doing, what people who think about this stuff are doing with an, that's incredibly rich with concepts and experiences that we, can, that we can bring to this conversation or fight, whatever you want to call it, that can bring to the conversation that is going to make the future better. And, and if we don't do that, the future is going to suck. In fact, I think the future is beautiful or there isn't one and I like I mean that like and that's why it's really important not to like get too um, you know don't give up don't uh, surrender um, you know to 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 ignorance um,
0: yeah that's it's, good sorry. advice no that's great advice um, and I, that, I meant to bring that up I saw that on your website that it, it said I saw multiple times our future is beautiful or there isn't one and I think that 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 sounds like a very uh, I don't know. It's a mission statement, isn't it? Is that what you'd consider that to be? Your mission I don't know. statement.
2: I, I, I It came to me when I started thinking about like, um, what's the point? Like, why? I've been I've been at this for a long time, trying to like trying to show people what I see, and um, I don't know. It just occurred to me like, well, if I don't succeed at this, then you know, it could be game over. You know, extinction is a, is a definite possibility. You know, we Once you've studied the geologic history of the planet and you see the changes that it's undergone, there have been times in the history of this place, that place where you are on the, on the shore of the Pacific, where I am on the shore of the Atlantic. These places, this whole planet was at one point absolutely inhospitable to life and there was no life on it. It was magma, it was asteroids, earthquakes, volcanoes, barren of life that's this this world used to look like that this planet there was a time when there was there were oceans and an atmosphere but it was an atmosphere that we couldn't breathe it was full of methane and carbon dioxide and so the only life that there could be is these you know archaea and cyanobacteria that live in the ocean that 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 would the point is this that the living conditions on this planet have swung from one extreme to another in the past. It's happened before. We have, this planet has been utterly inhospitable to our form of life several times in the past, whether it's been frozen or suffocating or whatever it has been. We could do that again. If you've seen it in the past, it, it suddenly becomes possible to be a future. That is a possible future, that we put this planet into a, a wobble of positive feedback loop that makes it un- Inhabitable, no matter how much money or how many bunkers or how many, how, it could make the planet uninhabitable for humans, which is why some people want to go to other planets, which is,
0: I guess They're it's a They're already idea. uninhabitable.
2: Well, exactly, which is kind of an absurd thing. But I do understand the argument of going there so that we don't only have one footprint in the universe. Right yeah. now we have one planet. No, Elon's my
0: boy. I'm not. I'm just kidding.
2: Game over. Is that why he's doing it, though? I don't know why he's doing it.
0: Yeah, I believe why that's he... that's it. Is he wants? Okay, he thinks that we'll become extinct if we're not inter- interplanetary.
2: Okay, that I get. But if we're just trying to get there because we want to colonize it, my God, it's a freaking barren, dead place. If yeah, if you go there, that's going to be you're going to spend the rest of your life, you know, on a commercial airline. That's what it's going to be like. You're going to be in this little capsule of synthetic stuff with dry air and no life. Yeah, so
0: microbiome would why... be hurting.
2: It's so naive to want to go there and, like, terraform. Unless, of course, it's a fail-safe for if we screw this up, which we are doing now. Like, that is, I think, my point what is, it is. Yeah, my point is that we could do that. Like, like we could... So is it... I mean, it's absolutely imbecilic to, like, take that risk, to, like, deny that climate change could happen and to the point where it, it just obliterates everything we love. It will, you know, like... Is it really worth it? Whatever it is you're doing that could be creating that f- possible future.
0: You know what's kind of funny is I have heard people use the exact data that you just presented as, as evidence for like why we you know should take this seriously and as evidence for why humans are not causing climate change. Like, oh, you know, it's been ice ages and magma for millions of years, we'll be fine. It's like, no, there was no humans at that time. There was no life. We don't want that I, to happen just, again.
2: Look, it's just that's just compartmentalized thinking. It's small. It's small ego thinking. And that's
0: exactly what it is.
2: It is, and one antidote to that is to engage with the whole story. Like, there's oh, this one thing so that I. But that's scary. It's scary until it's not, because what happened, and this is I, this is something I derived from my research, my empirical research, was that when students, when people engage with the story of the universe, there is this fear that surfaces, that's about insignificance, that we're insignificant, that we have no agency in this vast cosmos. But if you stick with it long enough, in other words, if you hold on tight and grow up, you mature into a different understanding, which is that actually we're incredibly significant. So you go from being insignificant to being empowered with significance. And that's what happens when you become part of nature, when nature when you begin to feel the reality that you are nature and and it's in you and as much as you're in it, then you become the most significant locus of agency in the universe. Like, so I guess what I'm saying is like, sure, if you want to make that argument from this like small confined logic, go for it. See how far that gets you. It's going to get you as far as your logic will take you. But if you can expand your logic to include the entirety of the cosmos, within yourself, which I know is an abstract, hard thing to do. But if you can, and if we can make that accessible and palpable, then shit's going to change
0: fast. You know what helps for that that at least has helped me looking at pictures of things that are the same on the macro scale as they are on the micro scale. Like you look at the picture, look at a picture of a a neuron, and then look at a picture of of a nebula.
2: It's part of part of what I teach, man. It's called fractals. Yeah, fra- fractals oh, are Fractals, everywhere. exactly.
0: I love fractals. Right. Go fractals ahead. Fractals
2: are about symmetry across scale, right? So that you can see things on one scale that you can see in another scale. But guess what? It's not just scale. It's domain. You can see things in one domain that you can see in another, a, a, another realm of reality. So when you see, whenever you see a fractal, not only is it a cool thing to look at and acknowledge, but it's evidence that everything is connected because the forces that create patterns operate across scales. Right, which means and those that patterns are, things,
0: are implicit in our, in our neurology. Absolutely,
2: we're built on them. Everything's built
0: on them. And I so see them is, when I close my eyes. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, that that fractal, okay, is a is, whether it's a metaphor or not, is a bridge. It's evidence that everything is connected. That the, that the things across that these 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 are bridges that connect everything in the universe and once you start seeing fractals that way you're reminded at the of the reality of the interconnectedness of everything are I you familiar
0: like... no it sounds totally logical to me are you familiar with the work of mc escher the artist of course sure yes big fractal guy and uh yeah i th- i think yeah, his may... art and, and is he, amazing and he
2: did... And he did what you do, which is to make it like accessible and, and yeah. palpable for people. He yeah. made them into little
0: birds and little pictures. Um, Dude, so art, art is the way, man. That's like, where that's we're going art. right now. I was just moving into that. <laughs> Let's talk about art.
2: Look, I knew nothing about art three years ago. Nothing. I was actually allergic to art. Like I, I, I had never been asked to take an art course. Art. I knew nothing about the philosophy or the history of art. But in the last three years. I've started to open conversations with artists and it's been absolutely expanding. Like it's 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 blown my mind at at how much there how much potential there is in art, especially new art. We need a new category of art to communicate these things, like Escher.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think art is? What is it?
2: Well, it's 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 nature's expression of of deep connection with itself. This is what the original cave art was, it was this it was this ritualized reverence for the continuity of the self in the world. This is what they were depicting. They were depicting they were bet- depicting the the experience of their relationship with the world. And 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 as far as I can tell, as far as I've been able to study that cave art, you know, integrated the morphology of the cave you know and the acoustics of the cave and the the situation of the cave the location it's everything's contextualized and What that's saying to me is that the people who painted and created that art it was Very easily accessible to them that the world that the medium that they were using was integral to the art that they were producing Because it was integral to them It was integral to their, to who they were. So that's what I think the original art is, you know, like it's on a continuum by the way. I think art is on a continuum with every other natural process in the universe. So I think, but I do think that, you know, our particular level of complexity has enabled us to express our inner states, our inner feelings of connectedness through art. I think we've lost that. I think like a lot of things we've lost because of Descartes or whatever you, whoever you want to blame it on. But dualism, um, yeah, dualism is a big, big one.
0: What's your, what's your beef with Descartes?
2: Well, the fact that he actually, my beef with Descartes has, has, um, has softened recently because I've been talking with a very amazing philosopher. Uh, but I originally sort of blamed this whole dualism on him. this two worlds mythology that has created so much injury but I also think that, you know, he was, I have to contextualize him. I have to put him in, I have to put him into his situation, which is, you know, he was trying to figure this stuff out and this made sense to him. I think it created a long dead end, you know, he, he yeah. laid the tracks for, for a long diversion uh, that we're now starting to like back from, back away from, but um yeah, so so yeah descartes dualism is a problem it's it's just it's just a adolescent error i think in but
0: it it almost it almost makes too much sense because it as soon as you start to think about us as you know our bodies are one thing and our soul is another thing and we're separate there it's 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 easy to it's easy to organize your thoughts like that so look he was a
2: man of his time and he didn't have what we now know like what we now know about how the universe has evolved None of those guys had. None of those big name philosophers, you know, with the exception of the pre Socratics, you know, the Aristotelians and the you know, those the, the Neo-Pla- Neoplatonists and things like they they still had access to this to the phenomenology of the cosmos, but they didn't have the conceptual knowledge that we now have, which I think in the very near future is going to revive those those old philosophies into something that we Why did why did they
0: ever go away?
2: Um lots uh, just accidents, man accidents happen, you know, I think uh, this is how systems work. They 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 get into um, you know c- cyclic stability states and mm. that one was a particularly stable state that created a lot of stability for the people who believed it. And, um, so it, it got self, uh, you know, it just became a positive feedback loop, but it's temporary, fe- temporary positive feedback loop. And we desperately need to like back ourselves out of it because positive feedback loops don't last long in nature. That's why there's so few of them. That's a Donna Haraway thing.
0: Um, so, all right, where were we right before Cartesian dualism? Um, we're... no idea. Though. Well, I'll just go into my question list then. Um, <laughs> okay. so if, birds fly fish swim what do humans do like what is our primary thing that we do
2: we make sense of consciousness man like we make sense of this this higher order form of consciousness which by the way is not limited to just us the birds and the fish also have a form their forms of consciousness but our, i think what we do is to make sense of uh our, our, our predicament, our, our, our situation, you know, the circumstances that we find ourselves. I think that's what life is for. Which I think, by the way, and we don't need to get into this now, but I think with the changes in like labor and what, like what work means, and like how things are being automated, and we're creating these like vast sort of like reserves of downtime for people, what are we gonna do with that time? What are we gonna, well, that, this is part of your answer, the answer to your question, what do humans do? Well what we're going to do with that margin of of leisure whatever you want to call it is to learn this stuff learn about the universe and the cosmos reconnect with nature do art you know that's what we're going to do because that's what humans do that's what that is using this consciousness that we've inherited to its like full potential or fuller potential is to like revel in it revel in consciousness and creativity and beauty and affection and love for each other i'm not being utopianist here of course there's going to be violence and and cheating and da 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 we need that stuff to show us the other parts that are awesome but i'm just saying that's what humans do we 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 learn the story of the universe we learn about our place within it and then we go out and we experience it every day and it gets like we go out and spend time with the trees and the birds and they sing to us and like we start to like feel real deep joy, which is free, by the way, and doesn't require any fossil fuels to really experience. So the point is, like all the solutions and all the way out of this frickin mess is, is here. It's, it's ready. You know, it's, it's just are we ready to receive the gift is the question.
0: How does a person actually practice this? Like, if say, one of my listeners wants to increase their ecological intelligence. What do they do? Listen
2: to the world, you know, practice open, active, open-mindedness with the world. Um, I think this is a John Verveke concept, but yeah, just like listen and make space for, make a, create a willingness in one, in yourself to like be surprised by the world. There's a lot of things we could do. You know, we could get into like narrative disruption, narrative awareness and disruption, which is, a fun thing to do.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. So first of all, narrative, (laughs) we've, we've kind of covered what narratives are and how that's something that we all build as just a way to create the self. But well,
2: the universe builds them too, by the way, like narrative is like how it's deeper than just a cognitive feature. Narrative is actually a way that trees also create durability is by, by organizing and, um, Uh, coordinating the material that they're made of in structure is a kind of narrative it is a
0: it's a physical narrative then
2: yeah it's a kind of and it's a conceptual narrative it's like tree when i say tree right you think in terms of narrative tree oh tree i know what a tree is it's green at the top it has roots sometimes they fall they get hit by lightning trees create oxygen we have a story of tree right what i'm saying is that when we tell the story of the tree Right. It's a fractal of the tree using material to build the tree. That's what I'm saying. There's a fractal there that it's a conceptual fractal that organizing matter into a entity called a tree is a fractal process that we now use to tell ourselves the story of the tree.
0: And that fractal pattern is stored in some kind of collective unconscious, which is the universe. Is that is that right? Where does sure. the fractal you come can, from?
2: I think it's just, and I think it is part of the emergent narrative of the universe that when 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 fractals started to happen, and I suppose it's it's arguable when that is. They work, and if they work, they're selected for, and so fractals become part of the furniture of the universe, like that. And so, and and same thing for narrative, like. And the reason I can say that is because I hold this thing called ontological continuity, which is that, the, that reality is continuous, that everything is on a continuum. Everything is on a continu- continuum. So I can see then how these forces of, of, of... What's the word I'm looking for? The way that we um, coordinate, the way that nature coordinates resources and forces is, is a fractal of how we coordinate ideas and resources. Like, it's based in this idea of ontological continuity that the story of the universe is telling. The story of the universe is saying at every chapter, it's saying everything is continuous. So what was going on in the cosmic microwave background radiation, the, the earliest light of the universe, were ecological dynamics between different regions of space that had different temperatures, different energies. Those relationships ended up resulting in the first stars okay and the first helium and hydrogen atoms that came together as stars those became planets those became life those became this conversation Mm -hmm. that's ontological continuity and it's right there to see you know if if you know the facts if you know enough of the details of this story suddenly this whole thing plays out as a as one story and it's your story it's like, and I know that sounds like, like, like pseudoscientific and maybe it is, but it's certainly consistent with the science that we know, that I know. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if I've lost you and your audience there.
0: No, yeah, gotta no, it. I'm listening. I'm just trying to process as we go. So I, I really want to actually grasp the things that you're saying as, as they're coming you, through. You so gave so
2: that, me permission. You yeah. Gave yeah. Me permission to do. That.
0: I love it, man. I think it's great. I honestly, cool. I'm even if you half the stuff you said was crazy. If you said a few nuggets of truth in here, I think that we got to win. It, but <laughs> I, I don't think you're crazy. I think most of this stuff sounds very reasonable. What do you think it is about? Whether whether it's the ego or I don't know. God, I'm having trouble with with actual terminology because I don't want the baggage <laughs> to come through with my question. Oh, I'm gonna reth- I'm gonna rethink this.
2: Well, don't worry, man. I'll I'll like I'll reconfigure it. If necessary, but...
0: Okay. Well, since... All right. So each one of us is our own little sense-making machine. We're going through the universe in time, trying to make sense of this and build narratives. And is each one of us independent of the rest? Are each one of those little decisions creating the whole all together? Is it all one big thing? Like if we were to look at the all of existence from a dimension outside of linear time would we be able to just see what this thing is and make more sense of it? Like I'm having a hard time getting my question.
2: It's a good, it's a great question, man. And I don't have an answer for you. You know, um, all I know is that, um,
0: like it feels, it feels a lot of time, like we're going somewhere, but I don't know if that is the case. And if that's just an illusion from living in linear time, or if, if, if there's some kind of greater intelligence with like, Uh, an intention and and there's destinies or if it actually is just we have some kind of implicit knowledge that this is all one big thing and that all the moments are all happening at once
2: there there are some real inconsistencies with like the the what we know scientifically like you know when you when you look out with a telescope that's tuned to the microwave band of light and see the cosmic microwave background radiation which is like 13.77 billion years ago, but you're looking at it. Okay, so you're looking at it, but it's no longer there. Well, it actually is there. Okay, so we've already, now we've just created this crazy paradox that, so I can see it, but it was a long time ago, and it's no longer there, but it's still there. You know, it's just like, okay, that's a red flag. It's like something's amiss in our-
0: That's a glitch. In
2: our nice- it's a glitch. It's, 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 it's revealing that there's something amiss in our, in our paradigm. You know what I mean? In our comfortable paradigm of, of reality. Okay. I'll, I'll just acknowledge that and say, okay, something is miss, something is incongruent here. I'm okay with that. Now, what it is, I don't know. Like, I don't know, but I do know this, that, that there's mystery, right? Like, if you go all the way back to the big bang and try to try to see before it or try to do calculations and math and physics that tell you what happened before the big bang you get this collapse of logic. Like we can we've done this great job of parsing time into more minute and minute sections called the Planck units, 10 to the -43 seconds of time is supposed to be like the cosmic speed limit when it comes with respect to time. And so But once you go beyond that, it no longer makes sense. It's incoherent. It's the physics breaks down, the math breaks down. So what that's saying is that there is a inherent mystery that not only do we not know, but we cannot know what it is based on what we, you know, the math that we currently use. So the point there is just that there is mystery and you gotta like, you gotta be okay with that. So even though I, bust through the door saying, I'm a scientist and I know all this shit. I'm actually acknowledging that there's a mystery here that might infuse all this shit that I know. I've got a wild card. It's called mystery. And I can use it because I've seen it back before the Big Bang. And so I'm taking that mystery with me and I'm keeping it in my... So so the, the flying spaghetti monster may show up in the sky tomorrow and say, hey, Rich, you got it all wrong. And I'll be like, that's okay. I got my, I got my mystery wild card right here. I'm with you, mm-hmm. monster. So anyway, the point there is just that
0: the mystery wildcard encompasses a lot. So it saves you from having to know everything.
2: Well, here's the thing about mystery. It encompasses everything because oh, that's it might better. be every because it might be everything. And I got to live with that. Like, and I'm not claiming to know everything. I'm claiming to know what we know, but I'm not claiming to know everything. And I got mystery and that mystery might in fact be everything. I don't know. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, so suddenly this like teleological argument about purpose is irrelevant. Is there purpose in the universe? Well, do you have one? Because if you do, there is, it's just that simple.
0: Would you, is teleological defining something by its effects afterwards?
2: No, it's about putting something in the future or putting some design element into it that it's seeking to go so, to somewhere specific
0: so okay yeah yeah
2: yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like deduction on steroids Mm -hmm. you know like when you like when you um when you you know god has often been a teleological sort of argument that well it's because god says it is so and okay that's my mystery card by the way maybe um so i'm okay with that but that's what teleology means it's 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 having a destination in mind that we're all moving toward that's predetermined and predefined
0: gotcha back to the art topic are you an artist yourself
2: uh, not like a formal artist but it depends on how you define art if art is about communicating that deep sense of belonging and connectedness then I'm then I, I do art you know I work with artists who actually have the skills and the talent to do art and then I my art is to interpret that art and to put it into the context of nature and the universe and ecological intelligence so no I'm not a formal artist I couldn't you know I couldn't draw you a picture of a flower but i i i live artistically you know i my life is a kind of art my thinking is a kind of art and my relationships are i think are artful
0: yeah you hear a lot about people with the artistic personality type and they're they're thought of as kind of chaotic and and wishy-washy yeah i love them too
2: yeah what it is is that they're they're attuned and Mm -hmm. they are uh in contact with something that i don't think they understand and i think a lot of them are happy not understanding but the point is that i think what a lot of artists are tuned into is this thing that i'm calling ecological intelligence that there is this intelligence in the liminal spaces between the object and the subject between the artist and and the art that is guiding their their creativity and when and and when an artist feels that then that creativity becomes an ally and what the and the creativity is really the creativity of the cosmos that they're tapping into. And so I think some artists, not all, but some artists who who are inclined to, like, feel that can tap into that creativity. And then the channel creativity it. starts to, oh, yeah, channel it. And it opens doors because it's, t- 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 because it's aligned with the, the creativity of the cosmos, which wants to create. which Obviously, it does. If it didn't want to create, we wouldn't be here. But the point is... Art that is attuned to that propensity toward complexity and life is, is powerful art. Right now, the forms of art that we're currently consuming are pretty lame. They're mostly about some idiosyncratic ego being expressed. And I think it's toxic. And it's created a toxic culture. And so what we need is at least one form of art that can tap into nature's intelligence and nature's creativity and be a source for this sense of, of, of belonging and affection for the world.
0: That's beautiful. Hmm. Thanks. I think that art is really important and not just because it's fun to look at and fun to listen to and experience, but it helps us to connect with who we are as a collective species. Yeah. When you, mm-hmm. when you hear a song that somebody wrote and you can, you can Feel their pain it's a very powerful experience
2: Mm. that's one of those gifts of our higher form of consciousness is that we have that empathetic sort of capacity to to share in this experience man what a gift what a gift that this planet has has endowed us with And, and, and it is directly an endowment of the earth by the way like we know enough of the story of how humans came into existence how we evolved to know that that capacity that you're talking about of feeling and, and, and empathizing and basically extending my consciousness into other people's consciousnesses, that capacity is a gift of this earth because only our species, okay, only the one that does art like we do, has had a deep and sustained and intimate relationship with every habitat on this planet. And it's because of those, that long history of relationships that we have acquired that capacity that you're talking about that is a gift of the earth like that's what it means to be an earthling it is to manifest the intelligence of every habitat that this planet has been has been able to muster our species is, is the only one that does that i'm looking at a bird right now it's beautiful it sings lovely it's in, exquisitely you know designed and by nature to inhabit its space and to exist but it it, it can't do what i'm doing right now which is to like contemplate my existence and its existence. By the way, I also think that being with birds and trees and things like that can teach us, can teach us how to appreciate this, this capacity that I'm talking about. Like
0: 100% because they don't
2: have, because they don't have this capacity. What it does is it, it, it shows to us that we have it. And I think, and I think that nature does have this capacity, obviously, because we're expressing it. So, sorry. I again, think there are so many different
0: types. This. Oh, yeah. No, quit apologizing, Rich. Stuff you're sorry is in a sack. <laughs> you're allowed to talk as much I wasn't, as you would. I
2: wasn't apologizing. I was, I was accusing you of, of
0: creating this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm loving it, Jeff. I'm loving what it I was going to say about consciousness. So, I used to think consciousness was this thing that we do really well and there are no other organisms that do it period and i thought consciousness was the actual experience of understanding that i am having Mm -hmm. an experience and and rather than just simply having one i don't think that anymore at all over the years i've just i've seen flashes of consciousness in non-human things like pets or wild animals or a waterfall or a or a thousand year old old growth cedar tree and it may not be what I'm doing, where I'm experiencing myself and I have all of this data to build a narrative out of because of my senses <clears throat> and my my prefrontal cortex, which allows me to build these elaborate stories and my hippocampus, which is full of memories that I can pull from and continue to you know add to my stories. But this thousand-year-old tree has a different kind of consciousness where it's and like you said, maybe it's based in a narrative and maybe it's based in just the physical being and and the life cycle of a tree and that experience might be totally different. But I kind of think consciousness in in a way is in all living things and I'm more and more I, I start to even let myself think that maybe it's in all matter. And it's just, in a, and it's an expression in different degrees and different levels. And we just happen to have a very condensed version of it where we can actually build it into this very rich picture of, of our experience. What do, you, what do you think about consciousness in animals?
2: Well, first of all, welcome to the club, man. Like, everything that I know says the same thing, okay? Um, You're... Understanding of it that you got from your psychology degree, it was the received wisdom of a bunch of of a bunch of people who didn't know. Or they were distracted by a lot of adolescent understandings of the way the world is. What you're I don't know where you came, how you learned that, how you acquired that sense that you have.
0: I live in the woods.
2: Right, exactly. So it's communicating it directly to you, not in English not in words not in language but but through other means that we know very little about but are learning more about there's a lot of plausible ways That this is a lot of what my exploration has been is to try and understand how this kind of communication can happen
0: the knowledge is already there i just had to like brush away all of the distractions and and precisely. see precisely
2: and and be open and willing to be surprised yeah. so that it could that's not to say your mind was so open that your brain fell out it's just to say that you had a, some space left for surprise, something that you didn't know. That's called curiosity or openness. So, great. Like like I said, welcome to the club. And that's, I forget what your question was, but... Um,
0: what do you think about consciousness in in other life forms, including non-animal life forms?
2: I, I, I think of it a little differently, that consciousness is primary, like that matter is actually built on consciousness, or not the kind of consciousness that we're talking about you know when we when we speak and share ideas and you know tell stories but that there is a animating energy that we don't understand that was present at the beginning of the universe that has been operating ever since that it, we now have access to it in a sophisticated enough form that we can think and dream and create and you know imagine but but that that energy or force or field or whatever you want to call it is was here and we're we're living into it it's not that it wasn't we're not it's not again this is a, this is the inactivist idea that that thing that we're calling consciousness is is not ours alone it's actually just coming through us and so because and it is i mean and like i said every part of this story every part of this story is about the world impinging its it's intention or it's whatever it's impulse you want to call it. I'm not, I'm not trying to ascribe intention to material matter. I'm saying that, that this, that this tendency toward complexity building. Okay. I call that consciousness that this, yeah. that, that right. And so it's a different word. It's a, it's a sort of a more simplistic version of it, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't differ in kind. It only differs in degree, which means that, you know, that we happen to be playing with a lot of it in concentrated form, but it's actually diffuse and infuses the entire universe. I know how crazy that sounds or how mystical that sounds. Frankly, I don't care anymore. But the point is that, so what, that's my version of consciousness is that it is, you know, that it is an extension and of that universal sort of impulse to be, to create, to, to evolve. Mm-hmm. It's, <clears throat> it's, that.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's pretty, I think we're actually on the same page on that. So you mentioned right. something about, we're on,
2: we're on the same page, but I just want to remind you that I got there partly through the intuition that, that we may share, but I also got there by interrogating that, that, that claim and saying, well, does the science confirm or deny this? And in every instance that I can muster it, It is consistent with that
0: I I actually do the same thing out of reflex because I grew up in the church I grew up with very uh, aggressive programming and it worked to a like a traditional Christian viewpoint one that very much wanted the Bible to be taken literally constantly threatening with you know eternal damnation and hellfire if you question which I can't help but do. That's just who I am. I'm a questioner. So I, I had an internal conflict for a long time because I was questioning and not acknowledging that. So eventually I was just like, fuck it. I'm not going to be a religious person anymore. I'll just let myself question whatever. And then I, my whole belief structure kind of fell apart. and I, And I didn't mm. believe anything. I started just questioning everything. And then through my education, I built this very much academic, rigorous, scientific view of the world. And I really felt comfortable there. And then it just got very limiting. And I started to realize, especially when I became a parent, started to see some of the magic that is Mm -hmm. everywhere. And Mm. some of those old ideas from my childhood, which some of them are very, very good. Um, Just because it's religious doesn't mean it's bad but it they start creeping back in and i realize like i'm all of those people i am i am a scientist mm-hmm. but i'm also someone yep. who experiences life and i'm all those people and i'm none of those people and it's just a complicated mess man. but <clears throat> that was a bit of a of a sidetrack
2: no it isn't because and i hope that you've managed to forgive like it sounds like you have like that that you don't carry i'm grateful uh right that's part, gratitude is the is the best antidote to any kind of grievance and so that's i think that's beautiful man and and like it takes a lot of courage and a lot of like energy and integrity to do what, what you've done so
0: i have I never seen had that the magic in but, every level at every in every I, one of those realms like when i was a kid i remember feeling like god is in this place when that people were really just like into a song or something where you can just feel an energy and it's in everybody And then I remember the same thing in academic classrooms or labs where I'm like, we are looking at magic right now. We're like looking at a a neuron in a mouse brain and seeing how it affects whatever. It's like, there's magic everywhere. You just have to be open to it. And you can't just throw out bad. You can't just take one bad experience with something and, and take, take it to mean that that this is a bad thing.
2: Right. And I would suggest fake it to you, make it. If you don't feel what you just described, try it anyway. and, and and make a note of what kind of like stance comes from that practice, because I can almost guarantee that it's gratitude, like gratitude and joy. And a sense of deep contentedness will come from that practice of seeing the magic and, and, you know, and forgiving the ignorance that we inherit. You'll start to like grow and mature and heal. And then your healing, because it is the world's healing when you heal, will emanate outward and replicate itself. And, and that's the beautiful future that I have in mind.
0: Yeah, on a, in, and that could just be multiplied over billions of people. Because everyone needs to heal from something.
2: Exactly. Because we've inherited this freaking mess. We've inherited this sloppy logic that's based in an incomplete. It's always incomplete. I'm not claiming a complete understanding. But it's based in adolescent understandings of way, the way the universe is constituted, and so it's time to like start asking these questions because we have got we've got nothing to lose and everything to lose from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What is uh what is oika or oika, and oika. what does that mean to you?
2: Uh, oika is a word I kind of invented. It comes from the ancient Greek word oikos, which uh, like the yogurt. Well, kind of, but in the ancient Greek sense, it meant home. Uh, but the ancient Greeks had a kind of patriarchal, because they're ancient Greeks, they had a patriarchal understanding of home, and they just they just sort of defined it as uh, the man and his house and the material that's in the house. So I took that word oikos and feminized it with an A, oika, and now I use that as a sort of word to indicate this thing called ecological intelligence that we were talking about. Hey, and by the way, you should keep in mind that the word eco in ecology actually shares the same root as the word eco in economy. So ecology and economy share the same root, oikos, which means home. Mm. So anyway, oika is that word that I invented to indicate this more expansive and inclusive home. No longer is it just man and house and material and you know belongings but it includes habitats watersheds you know home is earth and things that we we don't own things we belong to things things like that and so oika is a word that i invented to just to refer to this other way of knowing and being in the world that's more ecological and uh so i use it as my kind of um just a word to use to refer to it. Um, Cool. Yeah.
0: Do you feel that there is a, definitely like a, a a separate feminine and masculine energy within like the greater system that we're talking about here or, or I just,
2: I wouldn't call them separate. That's the only word I would leave out of that.
0: Complimentary that there are.
2: Yeah. And often adversarial and often, you know, in in tension with each other.
0: Yin and yang baby.
2: Yeah, exactly. Simple as that. So, yeah, I, I feel that, you know, like I, I do feel that, but I don't think it has anything to do with gender. You know, I don't think it has to do with men and women. It's more of an energy that we ascribe this convenient dichotomy of gender to.
0: Yeah, and they're both, I'm just to clarify, I think that masculine and feminine energy are found in both, in, in me right. and in you and in everybody, sure. in different sure. levels.
2: Well, that, that, that is an inescapable truth when you see when you have ontological continuity Mm -hmm. how could you not how could they how could they be separate how could they be independent of each other if the universe is truly
0: continuous they can't be so one can't exist without the other
2: yeah yeah i I take ontological continuity seriously
0: (laughs) yeah you don't really have a choice it's going to be there either way
2: exactly and and so let's just explore have fun with our explorations of those energies
0: yeah okay we got a few minutes left and i think that i would be in trouble if i didn't ask you at least a little bit about psychedelic drugs mm-hmm. do you have experience with on as an on an academic level or a personal experience level
2: um I have very little experience with the actual ingestion of psychedelic substances, but I have a lot of psychedelic experiences.
0: How um, do you get them?
2: Just through contemplation, by being in nature, by thinking what I know, you know, by by knowing what I know about the way the universe is, suddenly my boundaries dissolve in a very similar way as to what I felt when I did take a psychedelic substance. Mm-hmm. So... I, I, look, the thing about, I, 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 you know, publicly, I don't necessarily advocate for them unless they're taken with like deep reverence and sincerity and like as a therapeutic, as a way of opening a channel of, of opportunity, you know, a possibility. I think that they are, they are incredibly like effective at, um, um, deconstructing one's worldview temporarily so that we can see oh, yeah. how so that we can see they, they basically lift the veil but but they don't show you what's on the other side of the veil so much as they show you the veil and and so i think that they are an effective medicine you know and or psychotechnology whatever you want to call it but you can't just do them you've got to then live in that world that's revealed and. This is where I think science and an understanding of the cosmic story and nature you can do that every day. You know, you like you can't take psychedelics every day. You can't you can't live in that state, but you can access it in small therapeutic ways every day just by by allowing yourself to be in nature and to commune with it. So that's my take on psychedelics that they are incredibly powerful and effective and 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 convenient and opportunistic tools. For transformation so we should you know see them as such but uh but we can't they're not the whole story you know they are just
0: really the opportunity far from it yeah far yeah. from being the whole story i i think that they are pretty incredible uh, i also don't think that uh, i i don't suggest that people should go out and try them unless they you know under the perfect circumstances and with the right training and all that and the right Yeah,
2: they, they're, they're powerful as shit man yeah they yes. can really mess you up if if, if
0: yeah they not, definitely can
2: if you don't get the support you need through that process uh, i'm you know yeah that's why i don't go around advocating for them like in, in in i'm careful around them
0: yeah and it is it is hard too because it's they are fun to talk about and it's intense the what the kind of reactions that you can get from them but yeah you don't want to be leading people to do something that's going to cause them problems. that being said, the downloads that you get when you use that stuff of this kind of old wisdom or whatever it is I don't even know because I still feel kind of silly speaking to the collective conscious consciousness or the i mean the collective unconscious or anything like that because there are still so many people who who just don't see us that way as organisms like Mm -hmm. they think that they are in their head and everything else is outside of their head and that's just the way it is but I I, I'm or they
2: think everything's in their body yeah this I have the same critique of embodiment theory that you're just making of you know cognitive theory that I think we the pendulum swings too far in the embodiment direction too that we tend to obsess with the body which is a material thing we then stop there, and we say, "Oh, it just, it's just—it's just another way of worshiping the ego and the body." Sometimes, so I—I I, I have some pushback on that too, like the whole, like I do think embodiment is part of the equation, but so is the mind, and you know, let's not, you know, jettison one for the sake of the other, because then we've just jettisoned this incredible half of the equation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to to really wrap up in a nice tidy package what it is we're even talking about here because it's the the brain is the thing that we're using to navigate this whole game and but it's also the thing that creates the meaning and it's it's like it's the only it's the only viewpoint we have it's also the 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 vehicle we experience all this through i
2: think that sounds like a lot of old narrative man
0: well how do i get rid of it it
2: Think about what I just told you.
0: Oh, you're <laughs> I right. I was, that was like a, straight out of a dualist handbook.
2: <laughs> i was just saying, you know, it's a practice, man. Every day, you know, you th- become aware of the narratives and then disrupt them and have fun in the process. Yeah. That's one way. You know, just be aware of the narratives that, that, that you're a slave to and, and, and perturb them. And get emancipated from them and enjoy the process. Like,
0: do you ever find it exhausting? I, I see you
2: do. I, see, I hear you doing it, man. Like you're you're doing that. So I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't already
0: know. I'm trying, but it. I I get worn worn down by it. People start to think you're a weirdo. They start to get exhausted by you. And I'm like, and you're trying to help them. Like I'm actually happy. This is a fun way to live my life. I'm trying to learn these secrets of the universe. What are you doing?
2: Well you the tide will turn, you know, and just look if if you're enjoying it, it's all that matters that's I know that sounds self centered and you know greedy or whatever what's the word I'm looking for, but it's not because yeah, once if you're not if you enjoy yourself, beneficial
0: things, things that benefit yeah, everybody if you enjoy that that's not a selfish thing
2: that's how we get out of this mess, so like I don't need to give you any advice, man. Just keep doing what you're doing.
0: Well, thanks. I I really (laughs) have enjoyed our talk. Is there anything else that you want to hit before we get out of here? Do you have anything you want to plug?
2: Well, let's just save it for next time. And uh, let's ponder this stuff and come back and um, see where we're at. Like
0: I'm going to start writing a list of questions that are specifically for Dr. Rich. And the next time we do this, I will have a, a list of questions that are well formulated and well thought out. Before we did this, I didn't really know who I was getting. So I, I didn't know what, okay. I, what I could I, ask.
2: I, I want to say one thing and that is this. I commend you for doing what you're doing even with the knowledge that the algorithms don't n- value it. The they, hate it. You, they hate it. They, they do shit with it because they don't, they don't know how to... But that, that will change too. Like, but, but you could just, you know, talk about mma every day you know or you could you know you could talk about you know the things that get the hits and do the divisive stuff and the controversial stuff so i i just am saying i I just want to acknowledge that that i i just i think it's great that you are willing to do this and um
0: that is so validating so validating that is i've never no one has actually ever said that before and i think about it every day because i really everything i do all the research i do is telling me you have to niche down figure out what your niche is and it's probably mma or neuroscience or you know whatever NF, psychedelics. nft's psychedelics all sorts of stuff but i can't do it because i'm in i'm in love with everything i'm i'm well, fascinated by the, the world
2: that's that's why i had to invent oika you know like that's why i had to have a word to like say this is what i'm talking about this is my niche that i'm constructing and it's constructing me so
0: i love it i love it yeah cool, keep man. up the good work man this, Dude, this is this is awesome i'm
2: glad we connected yeah well hey i would suggest one thing check out john vervake uh, do a google search for john rakey and the meaning crisis john who uh, he has vervake v-e-r-v-a-e-k-e uh, he's a cognitive psychologist out of ontario he's just this brilliant sort of thinker, open, generous, awesome human being that is that is talking about this stuff. He's not talking specifically about what I'm doing, but he's coming at it from this cognitive science angle. And so much of what he's doing, you know, resonates with what I'm doing. And I just think that, you know, if you're looking for this kind of content, or if you want to share this kind of content, his YouTube series called uh, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis is like, an endless source of 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 material to, to contemplate and to practice
0: that sounds great i'll definitely check him yeah. out sure cool well thank you so much for joining us on the show today it has been an absolute pleasure and <laughs> i hope you come back
2: me too man i have really enjoyed that thanks and thanks for sticking with it
0: absolutely <laughs> Appreciate it. thanks again talk to you later okay bye-bye. bye 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 bro I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ramble by the River. If you did, it really helps us out if you leave us a rating or a review. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And if you want to get more involved and support the show, you can subscribe to our Patreon page for exclusive content, bonus episodes, and a Ramble by the River t-shirt with every Royal Rambler subscription after three months. Instructions for how to join are at ramblebytheriver.com. Click the subscribe link and it's easy peasy lemon squeezy thanks again for listening come back next week bye